Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 98 of the Money Love Podcast. Let's talk about the seven types of spending that many of us are doing that harm our finances. Some of these might be obvious to you, and I can guarantee that you've probably heard of some of these, but I also know that probably on about half of these, I would say two or three of these are probably going to be types of spending that you've never heard about before, meaning you've probably never heard someone actually explain them to you that hey, this is actually a thing. But when I explain it to you, I can guarantee that some of you are going to be like, whoa, (laughs) I do that. I 100% totally do that. I just, A, didn't realize that I was actually doing that until I heard Paige talk about it. And B, I didn't actually know that it was a legit thing with an actual name and terminology that people are actually doing. These are all types of spending that I want you guys just to recognize, just to be able to bring awareness to the fact that you are doing these things, you are engaging in these spending, self-sabotaging behaviors. Because again, awareness is the first place that we have to start. We cannot work to change something and we cannot work to stop something that we don't recognize is going on. And so my hope with this episode today is I am going to be able to bring some light, some visibility, some awareness to you over the types of spending that you're doing that really are all a form of self-sabotage and that are also harming your finances. There's seven of them. So let's just go ahead and jump in. The first one is going to be, actually, I would say the first two are going to be the most obvious. I want to go ahead and just talk about those and get those right out of the way off the bat, because these are the two types of spending that we probably talk the most about on the podcast. The first type of spending that you're doing that's harming your finances is obviously impulse spending. Really, my definition of this, of impulse shopping, is any spending or purchases that you're making that were not planned ahead of time. And no, I'm not really talking about everyday items here. Like I'm not talking about, oh, I need to go get gas today. Oh, I need to run to the grocery store today because we're out of milk. I'm not really necessarily talking about everyday living expenses like that. I think many of you know the type of purchase that I'm talking about here. These are the types of purchases that five minutes ago or maybe a day ago, you had no idea that they existed. So it's the item that you get on an Instagram ad that you see. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, that bracelet is so cute. Oh my gosh, that gadget is so cool. I need that. Oh my gosh, that home decor item is perfect. That would look so good in my home. And instead of giving your brain some time to kind of cool off and consider the purchase, we see it, we want it, we click on it, and we buy it. These are the purchases that are happening almost instantaneously. Again, it's like see it, want it, buy it. We are not allowing ourselves any time to really think about the purchase, consider the value that we'd be getting from the product, how it would fit into our life, the purpose that it would serve. And when we impulsively spend our money, 
We are not making our purchasing decisions from our prefrontal cortex, from our prefrontal power, which is the logical human part of our brain. And instead, when we make impulse buys, it's mostly done in an attempt to get a feel-good squirt of dopamine rather than making an aligned purchase. Now, here's my thing with impulse buys. Okay, this is where people tend to get a little bit tripped up with this. People kind of come back to, okay, well, what about like if I want to just run to Chick-fil-A one night for dinner? Or like I said earlier, what if I want to just like run into the grocery store and let's say buy the ingredients to make some chocolate chip cookies because I just have an urge for some chocolate chip cookies? Is that considered an impulse buy? And what I teach you guys, and again, this is something I'm going to teach you how to do when you join Overcoming Overspending, is I teach you the concept of having a spending plan, a money map, whatever you want to call it. And so when you are making that plan for your money ahead of time, that in a sense is you giving yourself permission ahead of time to spend that money, even if you don't necessarily know exactly the specifics of what you're going to be spending it on. So let's just go back to the Chick-fil-A example. In your spending plan, in your money map, you can have a line item in that plan for dining out or eating out. And let's say you give yourself $100 to spend towards that in a month. When you go into the month, you probably don't necessarily know the specifics of how that $100 is going to get spent. Meaning in the month of March, I don't know when I'm going to be going out to eat, At this point, I don't know where I'm going to be going out to eat, but I also know that at some point in the next 30 days, I'm probably going to want to go out to eat. And so because of that, I am going to plan ahead and allocate this money from my prefrontal cortex to say this $100 is going to go towards eating out, even though I don't know the specifics of it yet. So when you make a plan like that for your money, that really kind of takes the impulsivity out of a lot of the everyday spending that we're doing, right? You can go to Chick-fil-A and use your eating out budget. You can go to the grocery store to get the ingredients for the cookies from your grocery budget. Sinking funds are another great way to do this as well. I talk a lot about sinking funds. I have a whole episode dedicated to that topic. But again, for me, I have a closed sinking fund. Let's just use that as an example. So I go into a month having a pool of money where I can say, okay, here's you know $200 that I have set aside that I can spend on clothing. I do think for some categories of purchases like clothing, it actually is helpful to, again, give your brain a cool off period, like especially with clothes and shoes and beauty items and accessories and things like that. But once you do give your brain time to cool off, you still then have a pool of money sitting there dedicated to that purpose, which then kind of takes me into the second type of spending that we do that's really a form of self-sabotage that's going to hurt your finances is overspending. In the context of this episode, I'm going to define overspending as spending money that you don't have or spending money on an item that has already been designated for another purpose. This one is pretty self-explanatory why it's a form of self-sabotage, especially the first part of that definition, spending money that you don't have. So if you are doing a lot of spending that's going on to credit cards, if you are somebody who typically kind of finds yourself in this 
cycle of having a lot of revolving credit card debt, then getting a personal loan to pay it all off. And then the credit card debt starts to creep back up. And then you have to get another personal loan to pay it back down. If you find yourself that you're in that cycle, you are doing a lot of overspending because what you're doing is you're spending money that you simply do not have. It could also look like spending money that is already designated for another purpose. So let's just say every single month you siphon off $500 to go into your rainy day fund. So coming into a month, you're like, okay, every month, $500 of my paycheck is already spoken for in a sense. It's going to be funding this financial goal that I have. If you were also somebody who maybe the spending isn't going on a credit card, but you're having to move money in and out of savings a lot, you're kind of playing that dance a lot between your checking account and your savings account. A lot of the times you're having to move money from savings back into checking to pay for your purchases or to make sure that you can pay for your credit card. That is another form of spending self-sabotage and that is overspending. It's spending money you don't have or it's spending money that's already been allotted to another purpose. The third type of spending that we do that harms our finances, and this is going to be one of those kind of enlightening ones that I think a lot of you guys are going to be like, Whoa, because this is a type of spending that a lot of us do, but many of us don't actually realize this is a thing. And it is something called revenge spending. I could truly do an entire podcast episode just on revenge spending. Let me know if you want me to. I actually might do that in the future. But here's what revenge spending is it's just like it sounds, it's spending money in an attempt to get back at someone, or it could even be to get back at something. Here are some common examples of revenge spending. A lot of us do revenge spending against a spouse or a partner. When we feel like we have lost a sense of control in our personal relationships, when our spouse or partner is acting in a way that we're not super fond of, maybe they've hurt us, maybe they're not giving us the attention or the love that we feel like we need or that we deserve, we will actually choose to use our money as a form of rebellion and as a form of revenge against them. And I feel like we actually see this represented a lot in pop culture, right? Where the wife is just going to go and spend the husband's money because he was unfaithful to her or because he treats her bad or because she's not getting enough attention. And look, I'm certainly not saying that any of those things are good or healthy or acceptable states of a relationship to be in. But what I am saying just for you to notice is notice if you are using your money as a form of revenge against someone. We can also engage in revenge spending against something, not someone. So this was actually really huge with the pandemic. You guys might have heard about this in relation to the pandemic, but when the pandemic started to ease up and the restrictions started to lift and we could actually go outside and start going into stores and shops and spending money, a lot of us started revenge spending against something that had happened to us that we felt like we didn't have any control over, which was the pandemic. A lot of people will also revenge spend against a parent or against childhood trauma that they feel like they've had. And the important thing to note about revenge spending, what is at the root of it always is a lost sense of control that we are trying to regain back via spending money and through our purchases. 
You actually might feel this way about shopping or about spending money, but shopping is one form that many of us actually use to try to regain a lost sense of control in our life. When we feel like things are spiraling out of control, when we feel like the world is just collapsing in on us or is just happening to us, Many of us will choose to turn towards buying things and shopping and spending money because it actually is something that we can control. And when our life and when our world feels out of control, we will do anything we can to regain that lost sense of control. So things feel out of control in your relationship with your spouse or partner, you're going to go do some revenge spending against them, but also in an attempt to gain some power back, to gain some control back. Things feel out of control in your life, let's say with a global pandemic, we're going to go and try to regain a sense of that lost control. Now, the ironic thing about revenge spending is that, yes, it's all about a sense of control. But typically what I find is that the more revenge spending that you engage in, the less control you actually have. And this is a thought error that many of us fall into is because we are confused about where control comes from. This is many of us just being in a state of emotional childhood, which I've explained this concept before, but emotional childhood is a coaching term. But what emotional childhood is, is it's when we closely associate the circumstances of our world, the things that are happening outside of us to how we feel. And so when we feel out of control, we think it's because of what's going on in our life. We think it's because of the husband. We think it's because of the parents, the boss, a global pandemic. And so we closely associate the loss of control to the external things in our life. And we think, okay, the reason that I feel so out of control right now is because of those things. And so if I want to regain that sense of control, then what do I need to do? If the problem lies in the external world, then the solution must also lie in the external world. And so we use our money, this physical thing in our external world, and we go out and we try to further manipulate our external world to regain a sense of that lost control. But the tricky part is, is that a loss of control or feeling out of control actually doesn't come from what's going on in our circumstance line, in the external world. It comes from your thoughts about what's going on in the external world. So you don't feel out of control in your relationship because of the things that your partner does or says or how he acts or how he behaves. It's because of what you make all of those things mean. It's because of the narrative that you attach to it, the significance that you give it through your thoughts and beliefs. And please hear me. This is not me saying that you need to have happy-go-lucky thoughts if your husband cheats on you or he's unfaithful or he's not a good supportive partner to you. But this is all about recognizing and understanding where the real root of the problem lies. Because you guys, listen, if we don't understand and recognize where the true problem lies, we will go searching for solutions in all of the wrong places, and we will seek out solutions that will never solve the problem, like revenge spending. And that is why it is important to make that distinction. 
The purpose of thought work and the purpose of bringing awareness to your thinking is not to be like, oh, okay, well, now that I know that it's my thinking that causes all my problems, I just need to think new thoughts. A lot of the times that's actually not the solution. It's just realizing, oh, okay, that is where the problem is coming from. So then that also is where the solution will be found. I don't have to think new thoughts if I don't want to, but it's understanding that I can take my power back. I can take my control back. And me going out and revenge spending or spending all this money in an attempt to regain a sense of lost control actually isn't going to give me the control, the power, and the stability that I'm so desperately seeking. And that is why it is so important to make that distinction. So went on a little bit of a rant there, but that is revenge spending. This next one is also a big one, number four, okay? This is something that I definitely struggle with. I know many of you do too. I know through this fourth one, you guys are gonna be nodding your heads and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, I do that, I do that. Okay, number four, aspirational spending. Aspirational spending is spending that we do that reflects who we want to be at some unspecified point in our future. Aspirational spending is really the thought process of If I buy the stuff, then the skills and most importantly, the identity will follow. We aspire to be somebody who is smart, who is educated, and who knows a lot. So we go out and we buy 15 different books, 14 of which we never even crack open. We aspire to be healthy. So we go out and we buy the $2,500 Peloton bike that we ride a handful of times. And now it's just down in our basement collecting dust and is currently being used as a coat hanger. We aspire to have status. We aspire to have power and influence. So we go out and we buy designer clothes, designer handbags, luxury cars, because those are status symbols in our culture that communicate those things to other people. We want to be somebody who is creative and who's an artist. And so we go out and we buy the expensive camera to do the photography or the expensive watercolor set so that we'll finally start painting and creating the art that we've always wanted to create. This is aspirational spending. It's essentially saying, this is the person that I want to be in the future. And so in order for me to get there, I need to go out and I need to first make my external environment match that identity that I'm trying to form as the first step to making that happen. And the dangerous part about aspirational spending is that it really often feels very virtuous, right? Like in the moment, it makes us feel like we are advancing towards some sort of goal. But actually, that's the reason why it's so tricky and sneaky and problematic is because it's really a big deception. Because aspirational spending is a substitute action for what will actually help you make progress towards the aspiration. Here's what I mean by that. Again, we have it backwards. We are putting the cart before the horse. If you want to be someone who is smart and educated, if you want to be somebody who's healthy, if you want to be creative, if you want to be spiritual, that is actually your self-concept. It's a part of your identity. And your self-concept is actually going to come from within you, again, by the thoughts that you think about yourself. So what we think is, again, I need to go out and create an external environment that is going to reflect the identity that I am trying to form. 
And then my identity will, in a sense, catch up to that, right? Once my external world looks the way I want it to look, and once I have the things that I need that will help me kind of step into that identity. And while sometimes it can help to an extent, a little bit, buying things, purchasing things, engaging in aspirational spending is not actually the way that we step into our future selves. It can be a part of the process, yes, but it shouldn't be the first thing that you default to. It shouldn't be step one in the process. Purchasing all of these things, purchasing books and workout equipment and supplements and luxury items and art supplies, buying all that stuff in the hopes that simply just owning those things now will magically lead to progress down a path that you want to take is a recipe for disappointment. The honest truth is, I know this is absolutely true for me, and I think many of you can say the same for you, is that oftentimes there is no follow through. The aspiration is never realized. You ride the bike a couple of times and then you stop. Use the watercolors once and you stop. You never even crack open the book that you read that you said that you were going to read. And for aspirational spending to actually be meaningful and for it to actually make a difference and move you down the path that you want it to move you down, you actually have to walk your talk, which the honest truth is, is that many of us simply don't do that. Again, because we have it backwards. We think that our identities and our self-concepts come from what we own. You have to hear me on this. We have been told our entire lives that who you are and what you're worth, your inherent value is closely tied and correlated to what you own. But the truth is, is that your self-concept and your identity even one that you don't currently hold yet that you are wanting to form in the future is going to have to come from within you, from the thoughts and beliefs that you have about yourself. That has to be step one, not going out and buying a bunch of things. Now, yes, your spending and your external environment can be used to support an already existing or a developing identity that you are working on, but it is not the start. It's not the catalyst of where the identity begins. And so many of us do that. We think, okay, if I want to be a runner and if I want to start running, I need to go out and I need to get the Apple watch and I need to completely revamp my workout wardrobe. And once I have all of those things, then I will start running. Then I will be able to develop the identity of a runner. But it's like, no, 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 no. In order to develop the identity of a runner, what you need to actually start doing is you need to go out and start running right? It's like, just go out with what you have, with the tennis shoes that you currently own. You don't need the fancy equipment. You don't need the Apple watch. Just go out and start running. And so my biggest tip for those of you who feel like you do a lot of aspirational spending is prove to yourself for 30 to 60 days that you can stick with an activity, that you can stick with a hobby or an identity that you are trying to form to be an everyday part of your life and your routine. And in the beginning, there's a couple things that we can do. You can use what you already have. I feel like 80% of the time, in most instances, for most people, we already have what we need. 
Going back to the running example, most of us already have a pair of tennis shoes and most of us already have clothes that we can wear running. It's like you don't need to go out and do all the aspirational spending and get all of the new things. Just start running because the running, the activity is how you're actually going to develop your identity as a runner. Having an Apple watch and a new pair of tennis shoes, that does not make you a runner, nor is it going to help reinforce your identity as a runner. So use what you have. And if you don't have it, try to borrow one from a friend. I think between what we already have and then being able to borrow things from other people, that should really cover 95% of use cases of things that we would need. So aspirational spending, it is big. It's something that we all do. It's something that I really struggle with, again, because many of us our entire lives have been told by consumer culture that if we want to assume a certain identity, we have to have certain things. We have to own certain things. And of course, consumer culture wants to tell you that. Of course, consumer culture wants to tell you and they want you to believe that, hey, if you want to be a runner, you need my tennis shoes. You need my watch, but actually the opposite is true. What you need to do is you need to start engaging in the activity. You need to start running. That will help develop your confidence and your identity in that skill or in that hobby more than anything could that you could ever go out and buy. So that's number four. The fifth type of spending that you're doing that's hurting your finances is something called avoidance spending. Now, I've actually talked a lot about avoidance spending here on the podcast. Another term that I use a lot for this is buffering. But avoidance spending is any money that you spend to not experience a negative thought or a negative feeling. This is an action that you take in an attempt to not feel something, to numb a feeling, to distract yourself from the truth of your life. You will know that you're engaging in a lot of avoidance spending is if you are doing a lot of spending that is triggered by you feeling a negative emotion. So you feel sad, you feel bored, you feel anxious, insecure, overwhelmed, and shopping is kind of like your coping mechanism to make yourself feel better. So you feel a negative emotion and you're like, okay, well, this sucks and this feels awful and I hate this and I don't want to feel this way anymore. Let me just go distract myself. Let me get myself out of this uncomfortable mindset or this uncomfortable emotional state and let me go shop or buy something because that distracts me and that feels good. And I'm going to direct my attention away from how I'm feeling over here to shopping, buying, acquiring. If you are doing a lot of this, then it's a dead giveaway to me that you are not a good feeler, which is not a bad thing. And it's not anything you need to feel shame over. Most adults in the world are bad feelers because none of us have ever actually been taught the skill of feeling our feelings. Many of us don't even realize that it's something that we have to learn how to do. And we don't realize that it's a skill that can be practiced. And so what I am telling my students inside Overcoming Overspending all the time is like, listen, if you are an avoidance spender, if you are doing a lot of buffering with spending, you're not a bad spender. You're just a bad feeler. And it's okay if you're a bad feeler because you don't have to stay a bad feeler forever. I can teach you the skill of how to actually feel and process through an emotion so that it dissipates and it's processed 
and it moves on rather than hanging around. And that's the tricky thing about buffering with spending or avoidance spending, you guys, is like in the moment when we feel the negative emotion that doesn't feel so good and we buffer it away with spending, we trick ourselves into thinking that we have actually solved the problem because in the short term, it does make us feel better, right? In the short term, it gives us that boost of dopamine and that false pleasure, and it does boost our mood. And we think, ah, okay, I feel so much better. That worked. That solved my problem. But what we often fail to realize in that moment is that what you have just done is you haven't solved for the negative emotion or you haven't solved for the discomfort. What you've actually done is you have just delegated it. You have pushed it into the future. That future you is then going to have to deal with normally on a much larger scale. So yes, you gave in to the impulse buy because you were feeling sad and overwhelmed and you wanted to distract yourself with the shopping. So you went and you made a purchase and you overspent and you charged it on a credit card. And in the moment, it feels amazing to do that. It feels amazing to swipe the credit card. It feels amazing to get those emails to say like, oh, your package is out for delivery. It feels amazing to get the package and open it and see the product and have it and use it and get to experience it for the first time. Yes, of course, all of those things are incredibly exciting and very, very pleasurable. And so we think, okay, yes, this is it. This is the solution. I've solved my problem to feeling bad. But again, you're not solving for the negative emotion. You've just pushed it into the future and you've created a larger net negative consequence for yourself by creating debt, by adding to the clutter in your house. That future you is going to have to deal with. So the biggest trick with avoidance spending that really fools us into doing it is that we feel like we are solving a problem and that we are doing right and we are making ourselves feel better in the long term, but really it's just providing yourself with a false pleasure instead of a long lasting, sustainable, true pleasure. So that is, was that number five? Yeah, that was number five. Okay. Number six is sale spending. Sales spending is spending and buying that you do solely because something is on sale. So when you are sales spending, you are much less focused on what it is that you're buying. You are not really super focused on the details or the benefits of the product that you're buying. You're not focused on what you're having to spend, but instead most or all of your attention is focused on the sale, the deal, the discount, or the promotion. You are wrapped up in, oh my gosh, like it's 50% off. I'm going to save myself $30. This is such a good deal. And really in that moment, you couldn't care less about what your money is about to buy you, or even if that thing that you're about to buy is going to give you any value or serve any purpose in your life at all. You are just wrapped up in a couple of things. I call this your sale brain. Your sale brain is an absolute mess, you guys. Your sale brain, there's really three things going on all at one time that kind of creates this like neurological cocktail that is just wild. So your sale brain, you're experiencing the high of the buy. You get that dopamine rush. It's even more heightened with a sale. You go into competitive mode. That's why shopping a sale feels like an Olympic sport. It feels like you're playing a game. It feels like it's a hunt that you want to win. You want to win against the retailers. You want to win against different consumers. It feels like a sport that you are playing. And then lastly, your loss aversion kicks in. 
You guys, when you see a sale, your amygdala, which is the part of your brain that manages your fear responses, also kicks in, which is your loss aversion. And we become fearful of losing out on the opportunity to take advantage of a sale. So with your sale brain, all three of these things are happening all at one time. You have the high of the buy, you're in competitive mode, your loss aversion is going crazy. And that is why sometimes it can feel almost impossible to say no to a sale. It really feels like sometimes you're just like a moth to a flame. Like I hear you guys tell me sometimes like, when I'm shopping a sale or when I'm in like a clearance item or when I'm shopping like a flash sale, it truly feels like I can't even help it. Like I can't not say no. And so this is sale spending. And sales spending is the type of spending that I would say contributes most to junk and clutter and excess because it's the spending where we are the least focused on the product that we're buying and the value and the benefit that we will be getting from the product. Because many times when you're shopping a sale, you don't even care what it is that you're buying. Like literally it could be anything. As long as it's 50% off and it's discounted and you know that you're getting a deal, you don't care. You don't care what it is. You just want to be able to buy something on sale. And that is why so many of you who feel like you have a lot of junk and clutter, like your bathroom sinks are piling up with stuff and you have an overflow room in your house. I guarantee you, if you were to go in there and start looking around, you would start to see patterns. And one pattern that you would probably see is that most of these things that I bought were, were either on sale, or they were heavily discounted and I was doing sales spending. I was just more concerned with getting a good deal than I was with actually using my money as a tool or as an exchange to inject value into my life. So sales spending is a big, big one. If you feel like you are doing a lot of sales spending, I want you to go back and listen to episodes 60 and 61. Those two episodes are all about sales. And I give you a lot of great tools and steps that you can use in those episodes to ensure that you can stop sales spending and that you are actually taking advantage of a sale rather than it taking advantage of you. That's number six. And number seven is habitual spending. So habitual spending is spending that we are simply doing out of habit. So this could be you going and grabbing a coffee every single morning before work, or you going to the convenience store on your afternoon break and getting a sweet treat or you playing like a game on your phone and you constantly just like having to buy, like doing the in-app purchase, like on the game. Now, I do want to make this clear that not all habitual spending is bad. This one kind of comes with a caveat because it's not all bad. I definitely don't want to send this message. Like if you go to Starbucks every single morning, that that's bad because I don't think that it is, but I think that sometimes it can be good just to bring yourself off of autopilot, okay? Bring yourself out of the habit for a little bit and just evaluate the habitual spending that you are doing and remake the decision to continue doing it. I think that this is so key because I think sometimes we keep doing things just because it's something that we've done for a really long time. And it gets to a point where we're not doing it anymore because we actually like doing it because it's actually bringing a tangible benefit into our life. The main reason that we're still doing it is because it's just a habit. And it's like, it's just something that I've been doing for so long. So if you want to continue going to Starbucks every morning, that's fine. But what I would say is every like six to 12 months, 
I actually think it's really, really important that we just have some balance and we bring ourselves off autopilot. And we just say, okay, I've been going to Starbucks every single morning for the past year. And these are my reasons why I do that. I do that because A, I just like to have caffeine. B, I like having the interaction with people at the Starbucks store every single morning, right? It's like, what are my reasons that I have for engaging in this habitual spending? And ask yourself, like, do I like those reasons? Sometimes the answer will be, yeah, I do. I actually really, really like those reasons. And so then it's like, okay, great. That's wonderful. If that's the case, then let's continue doing it. But I want you to make that decision consciously. I don't want you to be engaging in habitual spending solely because it's something that you've always done. So every now and again, I think it's really healthy just to remake those decisions periodically from time to time. You can change your mind at any time. You can remake decisions at any time. Just because there's something that you've always done doesn't mean you don't have to continue doing it if you don't want to. And I know that sounds very simple. Like I know a lot of us are like, well, duh, Paige. Like if there was something that I was doing that I didn't like doing, I would just stop. But I think you would actually be surprised at how oftentimes that's not really true. Have you ever done something maybe once or over and over again? And you're like, you know what? Like, I don't actually enjoy this. I don't actually want to be doing this, but yet I just find that I keep doing it. That can be a type of habitual spending that you maybe want to evaluate and stop doing because you've simply just gotten into the habit of doing it. It's not serving you anymore and you don't love your reasons for doing it anymore. So that is the seventh. All right, so let me just recap for you. We have impulse spending, spending that you're not planning ahead of time. We have overspending, spending money that you don't have or spending money that's allotted for another purpose. Revenge spending, which is spending that you do in an attempt to get back at someone or something, usually in an attempt to regain a lost sense of control. We have aspirational spending, which is spending that we do in an attempt to help us form a new identity of someone that we want to be in the future. We have avoidance spending, which is spending that we do to avoid negative thoughts or negative emotions that we are feeling, which always just ends up creating more of it for us down the road. We have sales spending, which is spending that you're doing solely because something is on sale. That is spending where you are hyper-focused on what you are saving on the deal and the discount versus versus what you're buying and what you're having to spend. And then we have habitual spending, which is spending that we are simply just doing out of habit. These are all forms of spending that we are doing against ourselves. It's spending where we are confusing a false term pleasure in the short term for what is actually most pleasurable in the long term. It is spending where we are checking out, where we're detaching, where we're just operating like a little robot on autopilot. It's spending where we think that we are solving for our negative emotions, but we are actually just creating more of it that compounds into the future. Instead of focusing on the things that we can control, like our thoughts and our outlook and our feelings, we are searching for control in all of the wrong places, like with our money. We engage in spending where we think that we're winning and where we think that we're getting an amazing deal, but really we're just being duped and we're being suckered in instead of being strategic. 
Instead of being intentional, we're being impulsive. Instead of spending within our means, we're overspending. Instead of working to form and foster our identity from within, we look for the products in our world to do that job for us. Instead of feeling our emotions and processing through them, we buffer them away and we deflect and we compound them into the future. And instead of exchanging our money for the things that are going to bring us the most value, we're simply searching for the best deal and we are trying to win. But the irony is, is that we end up losing every single time. These are the forms of spending and the types of spending that are self-sabotaging the health of your financial future and the types of spending that are harming your finances. Now, I know your next natural question is, okay, well, how do I stop? (laughs) How do I stop? And what do I do about it? And I wish I could get into that in this episode, but this episode would truly be hours and hours and hours long. So Next week, I'm actually going to be coming out with a follow-up episode to this week's episode. So this week's episode is, again, bringing awareness to what's going on, bringing awareness to the situation of going, oh, oh my gosh, I do that. And oh, this is why I do that. And then next week, I can kind of talk about, okay, but what do we actually do about it to solve the problem? So we're going to kind of take this topic and split it up over the course of two weeks. But really, here's what I want to tell you before we sign off. I've actually gotten this question from several of you who are thinking about joining Overcoming Overspending. And the question is like, okay, well, what's the difference between being in the program and just listening to the podcast? And this episode is a perfect example of that. Listening to this podcast is great. And it is amazing. And I am just so honored that you were here with me week to week to week. That by listening to this podcast, it is a form of passive learning, which is good. We need passive learning in our life. We need listening to podcasts. We need reading books. We need absorbing the knowledge and absorbing the information. That is definitely step one. And that is what this podcast is going to help you do. But the transformation that so many of you are actually seeking is going to come from the application of what you were learning on this podcast from week to week to week. And that is the difference between just being a podcast listener and actually being in overcoming overspending because overcoming overspending is the application. It's okay. Here's everything we talk about. Here's all the terms, all the concepts, all the knowledge, but here's actually how you take it and apply it into your life so that you will get the results that you want. Learning about something is one thing, but actually taking what you learn and applying it into your life and practicing the skills that I can only teach you within the program, that is the difference. I know sometimes you guys get to the point where you're like, okay, yes, like check that box. I am doing these things. I see that in myself. I want to get better. I want to fix those problems. But how? I am going to give you as much how on this podcast as I possibly, possibly can. One of my core values of my business is over delivering every step of the way. But it comes to a point where you have to invest and where you have to kind of step up a little bit and realize like, okay, there's the learning and there's the application. I can say that most of the podcasts that I listen to, that I love, that are in my repertoire every single week, 
I listen to the podcast, but I would say in almost all of them, I am also a part of the coach's program because I understand, okay, I can come to the podcast and I can listen to this and learn about the concepts week in, week out, but it's not actually going to transform my life in the way that I want it to unless I actually start to apply it. And that is what overcoming overspending is. This episode is a perfect example of that. It's like, yes, I'm doing those things, but how do I change it? I will give you as much how as I can on the podcast, but at some point it's going to take actually taking this knowledge and applying it. So I love each and every one of you and I hope to see you within Overcoming Overspending. Bye. Hey girl, if you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to join me in Overcoming Overspending. It's my signature program where I take you through my three-phase approach to stop impulse shopping and overspending so that you can finally start making substantial progress with your finances. Through the self-paced online program, the student community group, and live weekly coaching with me, you will receive all the encouragement you need to finally achieve lasting change with your money habits that have been sabotaging you for so long. You'll have money back in your pocket. You will leave behind the stress and the worry that you currently experience with money, and your spending will be controlled purposeful and actually feel good and be fun. The best part is it's 100% risk-free. You have a lifetime to implement my proven process. And after doing that, if you don't make your investment back, I will give you a full refund. Your results are guaranteed or the program is on me. Just head over to overcomingoverspending.com to get started. I can't wait to have you as a student within the program.